I love seeing people have the opportunities to challenge themselves and to gain confidence and to explore nature and experience the beauty and simplicity and solitude that they may find on trails and also on the roads. That was Jacob Pusey, and this is episode 80 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Today, we are talking with Jacob Pusey, a 39-year-old husband, father, coach, race director, and runner from Invermere, BC. He is the director of Peak Run Performance, a company that offers a variety of coaching experiences to assist you along your running journey. He's also been a race director for two decades and is currently directing the Five Peaks Trail Race Series and the Trans Selkirks Run. As a runner, he has won the Calgary 50K four times and set the 50-mile treadmill record in 2016. Jacob cites his best running performances as occurring in the Pacific Northwest, and when asked why he now runs, this dedicated husband and father of six states that his runs are now not preferential, but existential. Please excuse the background noise as we were recording from various locations around the globe during a mild earthquake. As you listen to this episode, we hope you will appreciate Jacob's deep relationship with running and the running community. And now on to our conversation with Jacob Pusey. So Jacob, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. We're so happy to have you with us here today. Thank you, Kim. I'm happy to be here. Carolyn and I um, have actually wanted to talk to you for quite a while, and myself especially, since I moved to Calgary, I was familiar with, you know, your name in the, in the trail running world before, but now that I'm in Alberta, it's everywhere with all the races that you um, direct and, and the, the things that you do. And so I'm, yeah, really interesting to get to know you a little bit better and for our listeners to learn a bit more about you as well. So thanks for joining us. So Jacob, why don't you give us a little bit, just a background about yourself, where you live, what you do. So I live in Invermere, British Columbia, which is like the headwaters of the, of the Columbia River. And uh, it's a nice, quiet little mountain town on a lake. And it's quite idyllic, actually. Uh, what I do, I'm a race director and I'm an online running coach and I run as much as I can. <laughs> I do a lot more of the other two than, than the actual running. So yeah, I'm behind a computer a lot more than, than I think most people <laughs> would, would think. Uh, I am a, a father. I'm a husband. I'm a human. So when we came to, to try to find a time to schedule this podcast, you were very intentional about telling us the times of day that would be the most conducive to podcasting for you because you are a very busy person with a, a large family and a lot going on. And Invermere is one place I've actually spent lots of time um, skiing as a child. Um, my parents have a place there, and I absolutely love that town. So I can, I can see you now. How long have you lived in Invermere? Not quite a year. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, okay. Very recently. Lovely place to live. So why don't you just now give us a little bit of background, like going way back. Where did your running story begin? Tell us, you know, your earliest memories of running and then how that started to evolve for you. I grew up in a big family, and I guess when I look at pictures of, of us as little kids, we were usually barefoot, and 
without shirts and uh, running around the desert of New Mexico, where where I was actually born and, and uh, lived for the first twelve years of my life. So, uh, other than like Hershey's track meets, or or I, I think they were like Jesse Owens track meets or something, like, just kind of like a once a year annual kind of thing, or or gym class, or the Cub Scout or Boy Scout Olympics. Like I didn't I didn't participate in anything like formally other than just one off event kind of things. And I I wasn't good. I wasn't like good at sprints. I didn't have a lot of endurance. <laughs> I, I think the only time I ever did well at any of those was like push-up contests, but just because I was so tiny that I could just pump out a lot of push-ups. It wasn't because of strength. It was just, I didn't weigh anything. Um, I, I played basketball from the time I was eight and, and soccer. And really, I mean, I, <laughs> I thought I'd be the next Muggsy Bogues. I don't know if your listeners know who that is, but he was a five, three, uh, guard for the Charlotte Hornets, I believe. And, uh, yeah, just tiny. And I was tiny. And so I, I figured I was going to be in the NBA, but I wasn't going to be tall. So like right. going to be the next Muggsy Bogues and, uh, didn't work out that way. But, um, I honestly believe that. Like I, I got in a, like a debate with my English teacher in middle school when he was just like, you need to get your, pull your head out and stop thinking that you're going to be a basketball player. And, uh, you know, you're going to actually need to know this language arts stuff. And, and I was like, well, you'll see when, you know, when, like you'll be writing about me one of these days uh, when I'm in the NBA. And then um, interesting turn of events, I became a language arts teacher in middle school. And high school. Oh, my goodness. So, okay. yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> we won that battle. But um, while trying to, like, get better at basketball, I um, I started, like, when by the time I was in middle school, my, my parents started allowing me to do more than one sport a year because they didn't have to drive me to practices or, or coordinate rides with all my other siblings and all our other activities. So, so that was the first time that I was allowed to like participate in more than one season of sports. And so that's when I signed up for cross country and, and track. And, um, but I didn't enjoy either of them very much. Really? Uh, Okay. No, I just wasn't good at them. Like I was, I, I'm young for my grade and I was also like a super late bloomer. And I just developmentally just wasn't like, especially in middle school, like that's, it's challenging for everyone. But I mean, I was, I was like a 13 year old in like an 11 year old's body. And then I had people in my same class that were like 15, but they like 18 year old bodies. And like when you're competing against people, I was just like, yeah. you gotta be kidding me. Like that's a man and I'm still a little boy. And yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I have a question about that because you know, people go in one of two directions with that when they feel like I'm not very good at this. They either like give up or they dig in deeper and say, I'll show you kind of a thing. So how did you, if you were never a standout, what made you kind of stick with running? Do you think it was it really just to become the best basketball player ever? Or how did you kind of engage with running when, when you weren't getting recognized for it? Or did you stick with it? Did you have a break before you came back to it? I guess would be another part of that question. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was just, I, I worked hard, um, it, but I, I didn't know how to, like I, I brought the same intensity that I brought to basketball to cross country and that's not necessarily the most effective way to like pace yourself. So I, I would literally like sprint out with the leaders and then stop and walk and then sprint to catch the leaders and then stop and walk and then sprint to catch the leaders and then and then eventually just walk. Um, and but I, so I was competitive. I wanted to be good, and and I would do that in practice and in races. Um, but it, I mean, it wasn't until the end of my first season that I actually like ran an entire 
two to three K race without stopping, even though I practiced every day and stuff. So, so it wasn't something that like came naturally to me, but I think, I think what I liked is that I had really good coaches that were mentors Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, they saw something in me that I didn't see in me and they put up with the other sides of me that other people didn't really like about me and that I probably didn't even like about myself. Um, and they pointed out when I was making progress. And so they, they just encouraged me to stick with it. And then I think it kind of coincided with when I started doing it more consistently, like I ran cross country, then played basketball, then, then did track in middle school, but it wasn't like I was training in the off season. I was just playing in the next sport, but before my my freshman year of high school or grade nine of high school, I, I, I trained with the cross country team leading up to that. And that still didn't lead to like anything special. I think by the end of the season, I was the 14th. I, I, I got the last spot on the JV team to compete at the district. And and then at that meet, I was still the last guy on our team at the, at the mm-hmm. like, I, there were seven teams of seven runners. And I think I was 40 something. So, I mean, I was like close to DFL. I don't think I got quite last, but I was, I was pretty close. And that was my freshman year in cross country. Um, and then something happened. I, I do think it coincided in part with puberty, but I played basketball that winter, but I had a guy on my team that was two years older than me that wrestled during the winter. So we had practice every day after, pra- after school, but he said, Hey, you know, we're just kind of getting into the groove of our training. And we, we were both close to one another. He might've been like 12th or 13th on the team. And he would meet me in the morning at five in the morning and we'd run before school in the dark, like just me and him. Um, and then we, we'd have our breakfast in the locker room and shower in the locker room before school. And then we'd go to school and then he'd go wrestle and I'd play basketball. And most of my other teammates, whether they were like the guys on varsity or whatever, didn't train during the winter, uh, at least that consistently. And I, I didn't know how to not just like hammer every single day. So like I, I went, basically had nine weeks or nine months of continuous training from, from the start of the summer until track season started and well, maybe six, I don't know, but I I had several months of continuous training and then something happened. I, I ran against guys on the team in practice that I ran against in cross country. And they were like, even some of the guys that were like on varsity and, and in like a pre-meet workout. So it was not supposed to be a hard workout. I still was just like, you know, we were doing strides and just shaking out. We were doing sprint floats and I beat my best friend at the time who actually got me into running, but he was you know minutes ahead of me in a 5k. I beat him in the pre-meet workouts, which you're not <laughs> supposed to win, you know? Right. Wow. Like, yeah. I just like jumped 10 spots on the team, like in one workout. And I was naive enough to think that that meant something. And so the next day at the race, I was just like, screw you, man. Like you didn't train all winter. And I did. And he tried to beat me and I didn't let him beat me. And, he, and I never let him beat me again. I was just like, yeah, I'm better than you now because I beat you in that like a <laughs> workout. And and it wasn't like a, an ego thing at all. But it was just like in my mind, it was like, holy crap, you just, you just beat Cameron. Yeah you should never let Cameron beat you again. And so I just didn't. And then after that, like I, it was, it was crazy. Um, I think in that race, it was a 1500 and I think I ran like five flat. So it wasn't like crazy fast, but that was, it's pretty good for, um, for someone that age. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't great for that team. But then the next race that I went to, it was a 3000 and I ran 958. So I ran, 
I ran all out. I, I PR'd in the fifteen hundred two times in in the next race, and I won that race. So I went from being like, in terms of a competitive season, I went from being like the last guy on our cross country team over five k to being the top guy on like the. I wasn't quite varsity, but I, it was to determine who was going to get that third spot to go to the track, the varsity track meets, and it was just sort of like, whoa. I guess that's what happens when you train. And, um, and so I, I, it was, it's felt like an overnight kind of thing, but I, um, it wasn't, I mean, it was, a, it was an early morning kind of thing that like, I just, I just fell in love with the process and, and I never turned back. It was just like, wow, I want to feel this way all the time. And you know what this is reminding me of? I don't know if you've ever read kind of the intro chapter to Alex Hutchinson's book, Endure. Have you yeah. read that? So it yeah. very similar thing where he was kind of like tricked into thinking that he was running faster, faster in, and it allowed him to break through basically in the 1500. And it sounds like this story, this moment that you're talking about allowed you to kind of see yourself differently as a runner. Would that be accurate? It, it did. And I don't know if this is fair or not, but people started treating me differently. So I started seeing myself differently and other people started seeing me differently. I was, uh, I don't know how family friendly this podcast is, but I was a, I was a smart ass. I was a middle schooler and I like, I had little man syndrome. And so I, I was a punk. I like, you know, I, <laughs> I did everything I could to like get attention and stand out. And, um, I, I didn't have the best reputation among my teachers other than like, yeah, he's, he does fine with the school part, but man, he just won't shut his mouth and like, won't let us do our job and stuff. And, um, <laughs> you know, payback. I got to <laughs> schools. But I, I remember walking into my my sociology class the day after that race. And my teacher, who I didn't even know that he even knew my name, he said, Jake, stand up. And I was like, okay. And I stood up and I thought I was in trouble. And he's like, do you want to tell us what happened last night? And I was like, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened last night. What part are we talking about? And he's like, <laughs> Um, well, I read your name in the newspaper today and I was like, Oh, really? Like did, did, did <laughs> for what? Like I, I was running around with some bad <laughs> What guys. did I do last night? <laughs> well, I really was. I was like, I don't think I did anything illegal last night. I, I think I was a detract me last night. And, um, and then he was like, you, you won the 3000, you beat like all the guys from all these surrounding towns and, and you're, you're in this class, you know, like you beat all these guys that are older than you. And I was like. Oh wow! Um, like I was just kind of like struck. Like I wasn't even. Um, I didn't know what to do with that because I wasn't used to positive attention from my teachers. So right. you felt this positive attention. I would assume in some ways you started to feel respect, right? Like other people actually respected you. And I will apologize for the weed whacking behind me. There's nothing I can do to turn that off. Yes, I'm on vacation. I'm not in Calgary, and somebody's cutting grass beside me. Um, so. You know, you also did better in the 3,000 and then the 1,500. And I know now you've, you've distinctly excelled at longer distances. Have you found that to being a general trend, like maybe the little bit longer you go, also the more you excel amongst your peers, even at the track distances? Am I seeing that correctly? I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, good, good segue to get me out of high school um, and into the present. But um, good. Absolutely. In high school, I felt 
like, uh, like I said, every, every even training run that I did, even the pre-meet runs, it, that didn't change. I didn't, I didn't learn probably until partway through college, like that you're not supposed to hammer every single day. Like every single day was a race to me and every single workout was like a chance to prove myself. And it, it worked okay, like against my teammates and, and amongst the people in, in rural Northeastern Oregon, when we competed with like just the local teams and stuff. But then when we would go against like the big powerhouse teams, I was usually drained by the weekend because I'd run six races already <laughs> or five to six races that week. And, and if you count the morning runs before school, I was, I did, you know, 10 races that week. So yeah, I felt like the longer the better but even even cross country it still felt like a sprint and those were 5k's in in high school and then in in college I'd run whatever the longest track race was I I mean I I ran the steeplechase some but I I eventually gravitated toward the 5k and then the 10k when that was an option and same with cross country it was 8k and 10k and even then it was, I still felt like it was a sprint and like I could never never really feel like I actually got into a groove or like I warmed up and so I actually ran the first my first marathon shortly after returning to the US from Panama and and I actually took a 2 year break from competition or training or anything like I I didn't run for 2 years and so um I ran my first marathon kind of off of just trying to get in shape so that I could so that I could transfer to another school and and walk onto their cross country team after taking a break I, I wasn't sure if I was going to want to run again but I wanted to lose the the 25 pounds of plantains and beans and rice um that i gained um, when i was there so i signed up for my first marathon and um and that was probably the first time that i realized like huh you might actually be a decent runner one of these days like but but that was i think it was 22 when when i like when i for the first time i realized like hmm you you might actually like have a chance to like be better than just, you know, the, the local legend kind of thing, not even legend, but just like, you know, the, the top guy on a small school team kind of thing. So you weren't studying in Panama. Um, it's interesting that before the podcast we were talking because that's actually where I'm recording from right now, visiting family. You were down here doing some humanitarian work and then went back up to university. You ran a marathon and you found out that you were actually quite good at it. And now let's just, you know, progress through. So you, you ran marathons and then just a quick high level, you know, synopsis of some of your distinctive running accomplishments. You won the Calgary 50K four times. In 2016, you actually broke the 50 mile treadmill record by over an hour to run 50 miles in four hours and 57 minutes. Mic drop right there. That's just insane. You, you've ran some great performances on trails around Mount Hood um, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you mentioned um, some of your best running performances have been there. You seem to really excel um, now in 50K to 50-mile distances. What is it about those distances that really attracts you and that makes you uh, seek them? And what is it that makes you perform well in them, do you think? Um, so... I think it's probably a combination of of my genetics um, and also just kind of my lifestyle and the amount that I'm allowed to, that, not that I'm allowed, that I'm able to train. I, I feel like I can go at one speed for a long time, but I'm, I'm like a, like a four cylinder Honda Civic. I don't have like a fifth or a sixth speed. I'm definitely not, you know, anything that's 
it's got a sport option to it. Um, I, I'm like a Honda Civic hatchback. That was my first car. So that's kind of what I am. Um, <laughs> and uh, Reliable, yeah. good on gas, yeah. <laughs> steady. <laughs> but um, not necessarily yeah. gonna, like turn heads or anything like that. So yeah, so I, I can just grind in one gear for a long time. And that's mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. what I do. But I also don't, like, I feel like I've, it takes a while to, to get going. Um, and so I like that it's usually between the three and eight hour range, um, depending on the terrain. I like that you can see a lot in that window of time. You can usually get by eating mostly just electrolyte drink and, and pretty simple foods. You're only missing one or maybe two meals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ideally, you get to sleep the night before and the night after. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to sleep on the trail. Um, mm-hmm. I like sleeping and I like, I like beds. Um, yeah. I like camping, don't get me wrong. But like I, I, I also, you know, regardless of what I've done professionally, like in terms of like what my, what my actual job is that pays the bills. Like I, I don't usually have the, the time to, to like take time off work to travel, to then do a two plus day event or even like a 24 hour event very often. And so it just makes sense. I can fit in a 50 K or 50 miler and then be back to my family or back to work like within 12 to 24 hours usually. So that's probably why, like it's, it's why I waited so long to even do my first hundred miler because it just didn't make a lot of sense. Like I just didn't, it didn't work um, (laughs) with my life with commitments to young kids and and that kind of thing. It was just too much. So. Well, this is, since you brought it up, this is maybe the the perfect time to discuss sort of like how you fit it all in, in the context of a very busy life. So we mentioned in the beginning, um, you and your wife have six children between the two. (laughs) So that's a lot. Um, Ages three to 17. Yes. Yeah. Right. And then you've got the four businesses and, and you've got a lot of balls in the air. I'm just picturing that like juggler, right? With like 10 or 12 balls up in the air, um, if not more. So I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Like, how do you how do you fit it all in? Like, how do you make time for it all? What What is kind of your standard answer to that question? How do you prioritize? I guess it's a choice, right? At the end of the day, you're you're choosing you know, to spend time with your family and work on your business and maybe run less than you would in a different phase of your life. Um, but it's, it all comes down to choices. And I'm just curious how you kind of balance that and how you keep those balls up. I, I hope no one's under the impression that I, that I know what I'm doing. Um, because I don't, um, I, I think like most people, you know, I, we just take one day and one, one task or one, responsibility at a time but but yeah it does come down to trying to prioritize and so um i often have to like block out time during the day to get a run in um i try to do that during the actual work day i'm i'm fortunate that i'm able to do that but um if i don't i often won't be able to get it in um, as our kids are getting older it might get easier but it's still you know i don't want to be the the partner that's leaving the other parent at home to to be getting the kids ready for school and dealing with all of that on their own um i'm not saying that that's wrong but if 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 it's possible for us to both be available to do that then like right yeah uh, it in our our relationship seems to work best when we both help out with getting lunches ready getting kids to and from school 
Um, and we're, we're fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and, and then, yeah, we, we want to spend time with our kids after school or, you know, in the evenings. And, um, it's not like every second that our kids are not in care or school that, that we're like all together as a family or, I mean, it's, it's actually not that often that we all sit down together to a homemade meal and, you know, it's. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the only yeah. one. No. <laughs> Well, uh, you were you and your wife were actually on the cover of a recent Canadian running magazine, the kind of winter edition of this this past year, 2022. And the article in there was great. And I'm just going to quote you from that article. You said in regards to um, another sort of time management hack, if you will, I'm not a giant fan of that word, but you were you were talking about running business meetings where you would sort of like take a call with with somebody while you're running. So uh, you said, why sit at a table when we could be out in the sunshine killing two birds with one stone? So maybe talk to us a little bit more about that, because I think maybe that's not one of those ideas that comes to people's minds naturally, but you're so right. Like, why can't you pop the headset in and go for a light jog or a brisk walk or something like that while you're taking a business meeting? It's Especially it's when your business is, is running, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, um, and, I, and I coach people that, that kind of need to do the same thing, especially people that work in the, in the medical field right now. It's, it's always stressful, but it's more stressful and there's greater demand on, and their schedules and stuff. And so sometimes the only workout they're able to get in or fit in is, is to go walk during their breaks or during lunch and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do, what I try to do here. If, if I can, I, um, it's not always a run, but I, our house backs onto like the school, um, the, the schools in, and like the, the ball fields. And there's just kind of a, an asphalt perimeter loop, um, a walking path. And I just do loops around there, or I, I go for walks through the trails and walk the dog. And, um, whether I'm talking to coaching clients or whether I'm talking to parks managers and stuff like that, most of them appreciate that. Like I'm, Sometimes I recognize that I may not actually get a run per se in. And so I, I, if, if I need to have like an actual conversation, um, I try not to be huffing and puffing. But if I can be <laughs> really aerobic and, and conversational, which is what I tell yeah. people that their runs should be anyway. Right. Like, yeah, might as well. So, I bet you it gives people ideas too. Like the person you're talking to on the other end is probably like, oh, I should probably go out for a walk too, right? Um, so I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I also just wanted to sort of circle back around. You were mentioning uh, in, in middle school and you'd like sprint and then walk and then sprint and then walk. So you had some learning to do as far as, as pacing yourself goes. And now you have this one gear <laughs> that you're kind of the, the Honda Civic or whatever you said, the four cylinder. So um, obviously your approach to running and pacing yourself and, and all of this has evolved over time. And uh, as you've become a coach too, and tried to teach the art of pacing to potentially to other people. I've heard you say on uh, other podcasts, maybe about your approach to running and your philosophy a little bit to your own training has changed over time, like where you're more distance or more time-based rather than distance-based. Can you talk a little bit about that? Do you know where I'm going with that question? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, part of it is just the reality. Time is a more finite resource at this point in my life. And so um, if I fixate on on mileage versus, okay, I have this window of time to 
be outside or to, to run or when I don't have my kids with me or, or when I do have them and I'm going to push them. Like it, it's really just a matter of like, okay, this is, this is what I have. So let's just work with it. What can you do in this window of time? And yep. so it's more like, I mean, there, there are other philosophical reasons behind it and, and theories that are related to training and intensity and, and all the rest. But practically speaking, it's really just a matter of like, huh, well, that call ran late and got to pick the kids up. So I have X amount of time. And sometimes that's okay. This, this might sound weird. I never actually did it, but it would actually be like less distance if I were to actually, if I were to go as the crow flies, um, mm -hmm. across the lake to go pick my kids up from, from care, um, at the preschool that they're, that they're at. Um, so I live in Invermere and they, they're actually on the reserve, um, past Windermere. And so it's on the other side of the lake. So during the winter, I was like, hmm, oh. <laughs> I push them in the chariot so, because the, the, the white way that they clear out to, to, to ice skate, I was like, I wonder if I could run or skate and push them in the chariot to preschool and then either leave the chariot there and then you know, come back or whatever, like or, uh, leave the chariot there with my, with my ice skates on. And then I could run back or, or with my ice skates in it or, or run back or, or mm -hmm. back or whatever. And then they do the same on the way, like back and forth. So like it's, it's the run or skate commute, but I, I didn't ever awesome. realize it. I didn't do it, but it, it honestly <laughs> would probably take almost as much time to just, mm -hmm. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. I, if I'm going to be getting dressed up and I'm going to be doing that anyway at some point during the day, right. like, how can I do both and like blend the two? Yeah. Well, you've only been there a year. You have another winter coming up. Yeah, I yeah. don't know if they'll still be in preschool then. They'll maybe be a bit heavier, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, but again, circling back to that article, I think in that article, you said, you know, if I'm putting the miles in and I'm healthy, I can generally perform as well as I need to on race day. So it just sounds like you're coming at it with such a more like relaxed approach. And Organic, I wonder if that's, intuitive. yeah, if yeah. that's just kind of happened because of experience or whatever, if that's just sort of been a, an accidental byproduct of like, oh shoot, I'm not putting all the miles in that I used to. And look at me, I'm still performing as well as ever. Yeah. Um, it's probably a combination of both. Uh, yeah. I, I know that in theory, I'm not doing everything that I could and should be doing to maximize my performance, but that's still not where my priority is. Um, even, even though I do, you know, get paid to run and I have sponsors that I, but I think even those contracts, like they'd rather someone be real and yes, yeah, outside of running. And, and that's just the reality. Like I, do I wish I could run more some days? Yeah. Do I, do I wish I could run more most days? Yep. But yeah, that that would create more imbalance in my life um, than than the than the alternative, and so. But I mean, who who wouldn't prefer <laughs> to not be behind a screen or or do, basically doing anything other than just being out there running in, in terms of work? Right. Like I, I love that I'm able to do what I do, but yeah, I think most people would prefer to have fewer commitments. Um, mm -hmm. But but the commitments that I have um, allow me to to live the life that I live and I, and I enjoy it. And so I'm, I'm not going to complain about it. And I'm also not going to psych myself out about it. Like I, I, I work with a lot of people who do get that, who fixate on the numbers and mm -hmm. um, that's the way my mind is naturally like, that's the way it naturally processes things. And so I've, I've had to just kind of shut that off and just say, okay, 
don't even don't even think about the numbers. Don't don't worry about heart rate. Don't worry. I, I guess part of it, yes, it is experience. I've learned enough of exactly. what it, I feel, but at the same time, you can only control so many variables. And so, do what you can with what you've got, and then and let the chips fall where they may, and and then be grateful for whatever the outcome is. Yeah. Do you think we've maybe gone a little bit too far with the data? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to. Oh yeah. <laughs> to think that with all of the stuff these watches can tell us now. <laughs> yeah, now I have athletes that are like, "Hey, did you see this in my data?" And I was like, "Nope, nope." Um, <laughs> well, what do you think about it? And I was like, um, "Honestly, I like unless you bring something to my attention, like I, I'm looking at some pretty basic metrics, like how long, did, like time." And distance relative, but I, I'm not even looking at the speed unless you're asking me to like help you like predict what your potential marathon pace will be or something like that. But like in terms of everyday training runs, like, you know, I, Garmin said that I needed to be at 140 and my average was actually at 141. Did, did you, <laughs> was this race a total waste or was this run a total waste? Like, nope, not. That's I know. Yeah, but but anyway, so I just don't even... I have a watch sponsor. I'm sponsored by Koros and I don't use like, <laughs> 99% of the features that the watch right. has. The reason I like Koros is because the interface was as simple as possible if I wanted it to be, and I didn't have to deal with all the other data that I could get. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I have the most basic model, even though I could have, you know, the one with all the gadgets and stuff. It was like, I have the absolute most basic model. And um, and, and I, I figure we'll talk about my brother at some point, but my, my brother, even, even when he was competing super seriously in his races and in training, like people were sending him watches all the time. And he still, to this day, wears like a women's Timex chron chrono watch. Um, so he wants a tiny little watch that fits on his wrist. He wears it upside down so he can look at it here when he wants to, yeah. but not there when he, when he looks down, like he actually has to work to look down and all he cares about is, okay, how long did I, how how long have I been out? Mostly so that I know that I'm home for dinner or so that I'm home. Right. For, but like, yeah. Well, some of the best runners, you know, that you, you read about and talk to Courtney DeWalter, I'm thinking like one of those people that just runs on feel all the time, doesn't have a specific plan. Now, circling back to what you just said, it takes a certain level of experience, I think, mm -hmm. to, you know, I compare it to being a cook versus a chef in the kitchen. A cook needs a recipe. And when you become a chef, you can just start throwing ingredients in and you get this great creation, right? Yeah. But you need to start somewhere. Most people, that's For why sure. we start with coaches, right? We start with somebody who can give us a recipe. Yeah. And then as we mature and as we gain more experience, know our own bodies and hopefully learn from our mistakes, we can start to become more that chef. But that's yeah. also, I think, part of trail running too, is a lot of those metrics get thrown out the window, you know, when you have elevation and technical terrain and nighttime and all these environmental elements that come into play. Mm -hmm. um, we've been talking a lot about Jacob, the runner, and about all the different hats that you wear and how busy you are. Let's let's take it, go back to that a little bit and just talk about all the things that you do. Jacob, the race director, Jacob, the coach. So you are the director and founder of Peak Run Performance Coaching um, Company. You are the director of the Five Peaks Trail Race Series. 
Transcellkirks, and your wife Amy has a company called Access Nutrients. So that's four businesses under your household roof. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. Talk to us maybe a little about about all of them. Is there one that is more your favorite, the one that you you spend the most time with, or do you do you enjoy working in all of those areas equally? Um, I do enjoy working in all of them equally, to be honest. I, I enjoy, like any job, there are parts of each of them that I like, don't like doing at all, <laughs> like bookkeeping um, and taxes taxes and, and permits. And, you know, there, there are things that uh, I don't love, um, but I genuinely enjoy working with people and I try, I like to help people find challenges and, and have experiences they may not be the same experiences that I had, but but gain confidence um, through those challenges uh, in the same way that I like seeing my children. You know, like we live right by a skate park. I, I love seeing my kids take risks and it, it scares the hell out of Amy, but like I, so I take them by myself. Um, I, I mean, I love seeing them do that. And in the same way, I love seeing people, old, young, you know, male, female, whatever, like, I, I love seeing people have the opportunities to challenge themselves and to gain confidence and to realize how resilient uh, they are. And just as, as a human race, we are, um, mm-hmm. and just how capable and extraordinary our bodies are and, um, and, and to explore nature and experience the beauty and simplicity uh, and solitude that they may find on, on trails and also on the roads. And so, yeah, I, I, I love it all. Do you coach for people both on road and trail then? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I have a team of coaches. And so usually when people reach out to us, kind of depending on what their goals are, both their goal race, but also kind of how much they plan on training and, and how much of that will be mostly running versus cross training and what that cross training will look like. We kind of determine who the best coach would be for them based on that coach's kind of mm. level of expertise. Excellent. And how many coaches do you have working with you right now? Um, right now, three of us are working with athletes. We have, we have more on our website, but their rosters are, are full. Excellent. So you help people, you just talk about helping them in so many ways to not only physically be able to explore their environment and their physical potential, but then you also, as a race director, provide them that place and that opportunity to do so as well. So I'd like you to just spend a few minutes giving us a bit of the uh, an overview of five, your Five Peaks Trail Series to begin with. It's quite interesting. Um, it's refreshing, to be honest, to have trail races that aren't just ultras out there, um, an opportunity for people to be able to run short distances, as short as 1K, you know, for the, the kids or the adults that don't want to run more than 1K, right up to your, what I would kind of consider middle trail distances of, you know, 18 to 25K. And you have races in multiple locations across the country, which I'm yeah. curious to to know how how you've chosen those locations and why Ontario and the coast of BC and central to northern Alberta, why all those spots are part of the Five Peaks Trail series. That's a lot of questions. I'll stop talking now and just let you kind of go with it. <laughs> well, to be honest, I don't know the answer to all of those questions, <laughs> um, but I, I will try to answer it as well as I can. So Five Peaks, this will be our 24th 
season or the 24th year that it's been around. I'm not the founder of Five Peaks. It was actually founded by a lady named Catherine um, in the Vancouver, BC area. Um, my wife, Amy, and a lot of other people in our age group kind of, and, and, and not just our age group, a lot of people were introduced to running through Five Peaks. And um, nine years ago, my, my wife, Amy, purchased Five Peaks from Catherine. And then uh, Amy and I kind of worked on it together um, in a lot of ways. Like I, I wasn't an employee per se of Five Peaks, but I, I had, I've been directing events for 20 plus years. And so when we got together, we just shared ideas and kind of brainstormed about a lot of things. And I tried to do what I could behind the scenes um, to, to help out. And then as she got closer to wanting to launch her company, Access Nutrients, she needed the money and the time and kind of the stability to be able to take that kind of risk to just say, I'm going to walk away from this and try something in a totally different field. And, and I'd been working with her and the company long enough that it was kind of like, well, might as well keep it in the family and how can we make this work? And so I know it sounds odd that a husband would buy something from his wife, but it made sense um, to... So I took out a business loan to, to buy yeah. her out. And, um, and so my, my business peak run performance bought five weeks or her shares in five weeks. And, um, it's kind of as an opportunity to potentially, you know, offer coaching services to, uh, five weeks participants. Oh, okay. I had no idea that it, it was hers before yours. I feel like we should have had her on this podcast too. Maybe we'll have to invite her at some point. <laughs> She's a lot more articulate and a lot more concise. Um, and, uh, so, and, and, and no, she's, she's got lots to share. Um, so yeah, I, I would highly recommend her as a guest, but, um, as far as the venues, the five peaks has, has kind of gone through a lot of different iterations or, or kind of had different goals over the last 24 years. Um, there have been a number of events that are still exist in existence that kind of started as five peaks events, but then just didn't quite fit the what worked for the, the business model of five peaks. And so what seems to work best for the business is, um, venues within, um, or events within like an hour to an hour and a half of a major metropolitan area. And ideally with great enough parking capacity and accessible enough trails that, um, that 500 or more people can participate. And so, um, it's, it's that like every other business, you know, you've got to find what that, what that break even point is, um, in terms of, okay, that's the least we can charge, um, and yeah. what's the best product we can provide and what's, what number of people do we need to have in order to like, just break even. And, and then yeah, I don't have much business experience. Um, I have an anthropology background, but, um, so I'm, I'm better at like calorie shells and pot latches and stuff like that. Than, <laughs> But, um, but yeah, it, at the end of the day, you do need to find a way to like, you know, cover your bills and, and maybe make yeah. a little bit of money in the process. So that's why that, that's essentially why the, it is the way it is now. We, we have tried to expand into other provinces, um, and that just hasn't been, you know, and, and tried for a couple of years and it just like, we were sinking money into, I mean, there were investments we were, but we, we took risks and didn't we were losing money on those efforts. And so we had to pull out, um, 
people ask us all the time. I had a call today, somebody asking to do something um, on the Atlantic coast. And it's just like, you know, there's. That would be hard. Yeah. It, I mean, you, yeah. It, it, unless it were close enough to Halifax, if we could find five venues to do that. And, and if, but at the same time, you, you have to be cognizant of the fact that there are other organizations in existence. And you certainly, the anthropologist in me is like, okay, no, like you, you can go and work with the locals, but you don't want to go. <laughs> as this. Even though most people think that we're just within the region that we're in, most people don't realize we're, we're in as many parts of the country as we are. Right. If there is that impression that we're this big corporate behemoth that's coming in to take out the little guys, like that's the last thing we want. And yeah. we are certainly not that. It's it's me and it's our race directors. Um, and none of us makes enough doing what we're doing for five peaks to live off. <laughs> so like... Right. Yeah. Well, but Kim mentioned a, a good point there. And we've talked about this a lot on this podcast is that trail running often very quickly morphs into ultra running. And so... With with five peaks, it seems like you're keeping them to distances that are are decidedly not ultra. Like it's not the super super long distances. So how do you see your yourself maybe potentially filling a void mm. in in that arena? Like do you do you ever think about that? Of like yeah, we're small we're small as in like shorter. <laughs> I'm using air quotes here. Like shorter race distances for a reason, and we're keeping it like this for these reasons. Yeah. I mean, so, so both from a business perspective, um, we, we have tried, we have created ultras before, and we, we still have a few distances that are a few events that go beyond the half marathon distance, but only a handful. Um, the majority of our events now are, are at that, you know, half marathon or below. And, and we do, we, we, we see ourselves as an intro to trail running or at least accessible. Um, there, there are certainly some elite athletes that participate in our events and, and we have hosted the, the Canadian mountain running regional and national championships. So it's not like we don't have fast people that come and run our shorter races, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we recognize that, yeah, there is that aspiration for many trail runners to start with where we're at and move yeah. on to what they're doing. I think, I think my wife, Amy is a great example of that. Um, Gary Robbins, who's a, a mm -hmm. an accomplished trail runner and also race director. He actually got his start trail running with five peaks and, and was oh. actually a course designer for five peaks before mm. he took on like took on a role as an event director. Um, and, and he and I are good friends. We, we text each other fairly regularly, like just to check in and, and see how things are going. And, and basically he says, you know, like, if Five Peaks is doing well, we're doing well and vice versa, you know? And so like we, we view ourselves as kind of a feeder program into, yeah. into the Coast Mountain Trails and, and into his events that are longer. And he says, you know, we've, we've tried to go down in distance and we've realized that that doesn't work for us. So we, 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 we're mutually, like, it's a mutually beneficial symbiotic yeah. relationship that we have. Um, I love it. Well, they can, you can, you know, you mentioned the feeder, you know, series, and that could be people just starting trail running and eventually growing in their desire to do longer runs. But also, you know, the people that are signed up for the 50 miles, the 100 miles that are looking for some events as part of their training, you know, to, to be social, Absolutely. to tweak things, to practice race mm -hmm. strategy, practice nutrition. Yep. I know I often would much rather do a, a 25 or 30 K training run. That's part of a race. It's much more yeah. fun than heading out by myself every single weekend. Right. Mm -hmm. And because your races are shorter and relatively frequent throughout the year, the same person could come back and sign up for every single one of the series, which is 
I think part of the whole point, right? Yeah. 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 And I've actually had my, like, I'm a coach and I've had clients do your series in Ontario or in BC or whatever. So it's very Mm -hmm. um, popular and very accessible. So I love that. And I kind of wanted to ask you, like, kind of in your coaching, it sounds like from what I read on your website anyway, that you're, uh, you coach people that are just getting into running, you coach experienced people, elite people, everybody in between. So does anything kind of come to mind or anybody, you don't have to name them by name, but does anything come to mind as a, maybe a favorite memory of helping somebody sort of break through on some level? Um, I mean, fortunately, the there, there isn't one individual that comes to mind, um, yeah. but, but that's, that's the beauty of coaching is that there are, mm-hmm. um, we get to do that on almost a daily basis or, yeah. you know, race weekend, you get lots of reports from, from people over the weekend, from whatever events they've been doing. Um, I, I got my start coaching high school and, um, right. and I'm still connected with, with a lot of the athletes that I coached then um that were in high school some of them have reached out and asked me to continue to coach them since then and and to me that's that was like my biggest goal as a high school coach uh, was was that they would want to be lifelong learners so yes. i was fortunate to coach some or not just lifelong learners but lifelong runners did i say runners or runners? anyway both i'd like them to be both yeah yeah especially because some of them reached like extraordinary heights at the high school level and but you never know where that's going to lead if it's going to be okay we're going to we're going to be done after high school or if they're going to want to keep doing it not that i would fault anyone for you know taking a break from that kind of intensity Mm -hmm. post high school but but it is fun to see some of those athletes continue on their journey so i I guess i would say that to me it it comes to mind as something that's fulfilling I, i always like really enjoy hearing back from even former athletes you know um but i I really enjoy the process with, with my current athletes. Um, most of my current athletes are, are older than high school because, um, you know, they can pay <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and they don't have, I, it, it's not just about the money. Like I, I wouldn't want to, the only time I've ever coached high school kids since I moved on since that, it, um, is if, if they actually don't have like a program at their school, but I, as a high school, right. I wouldn't even as a high school athlete, I wouldn't want my athletes to feel like they're getting mixed messages and have to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so much of it is is about being part of the team and the the culture that comes with that. Yeah. I wouldn't want to take that from a kid, even if they had that, like, even if they don't get along with the coach, it's like, you know, probably the best thing I can do for you is figure out how to get along with the coach. Like (laughs) that's, that's part of the challenge of being on a team and learning how to like work with different people. So I, the last thing I would want to do is be the coach of the kid who thinks they're too good to be part of the team kind of thing. Right. Uh, Cause you yeah, take yeah. Care of someone. So I, I know that's not always the case, but I, I've, I've been very hesitant to work with anyone who's not an adult, not because I don't want to work with people of a younger age, but I, th- I think there's usually someone that would be better suited. And, and also at that age, they often need that in-person experience and, and I'm not, I don't work in person with anyone anymore. So that's okay. Okay. So let me ask you this then are adults or high school students more receptive to your lesson on pacing yourself? (laughs) What what have you found? Because that's, I I'm 
assuming that that's a lesson that you are passionate about teaching since it was a lesson that you had to learn for yourself the hard way many times. So are adults or or teenagers more receptive to this? To be honest, I I don't know that I've ever overtly tried to teach pacing that often. I've tried to just lay out a combination of of runs and intensities so that they they eventually feel comfortable and, and confident and competent in their ability to perceive their effort and, and know how to do that. So that so I mean so yes I, I do try to teach it, but I I I've really, I really I very rarely give specific paces that I want people to hit. And some people don't like that. They feel like it's too nebulous. And it's like, yeah, well one day yeah, I'm not the coach for you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you'll become a trail runner and you'll appreciate it. But um, <laughs> no, uh, I, I do like with with my marathon athletes and like people that are training specifically for a fixed distance that that is intentionally like more flat and fast and stuff like that. I, I, I do, but um, I don't know. I it, it's just yeah. different. It's it's not it's neither here nor there. Like it's not better or worse. It's it's just different. And 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 there, there are aspects of. Uh, coaching adults that I, I certainly prefer over coaching um, teenagers. And at the same time, probably the thing that I disliked the most about coaching teenagers was the adults that were associated with the teenagers. <laughs> as, as someone who worked for many years with high school football as a trainer, yes, you're often working with the parents. And not, yeah, yeah. Know, and so like, this sounds <laughs> awful. Um, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyway. Um <laughs> I had the greatest success with um, a with a, a group of athletes who were primarily the children of of migrant workers, um, first generation Mexican Americans. So one, the reason I had success is because their parents, for whatever reason, mostly because they were teammates with either my brother or I or their older siblings or cousins or whatever were teammates with us, and so their parents said, "Hey, you can trust this these." this guy, um, and do whatever he asks you to do and, and it, yeah. it'll work out. So there was, there, there was, it was the opposite of kind of like the, the helicopter, helicopter it, parent. It, it right. was, if, if you're going to do this, we're all in and you're going to do what, yeah. what he says. Yeah. And there was no micromanaging and, and, and very rarely could they even attend the meets and stuff like that. So it was, it wasn't that I wanted it to be this dictatorial kind of thing, but it was like, I, sh- I don't need to be there with uh, sometimes two full school buses full of kids responsible for all of them and then having like a few parents acting like they like it, it's like you want to be one of the coaches that's cool but don't come and like ask me why we're doing different things when i'm in charge of <laughs> and, uh, so yeah it was that that was that was probably the funnest group that i worked with mm-hmm. because it was like you could actually do what needed to be done and you didn't have you to had autonomy it was just like, right okay, we're going to, let's just go do this. Yeah. I just wanted, we want to just go beat everyone. All right, let's go do it. And, and yeah. it didn't, there, there wasn't even like there was another option. It was just like, sure. Yeah, let's go do it. And, yeah. and sometimes it was their idea. And, and, I, and I didn't want to be the one to set, tell no, tell them no. So it was like, sure. You guys, you guys think you can beat them. Okay. Yeah. Great goal. Let's go. Let's do go. It. And, so. <laughs> no preconceived ideas. Yeah. 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 And, and maybe that came from my parents, like they were pretty hands-off, uh, at, at least as far as my athletic pursuits were concerned. Like they, it was sort of like, yeah. if anything, they, they said, you know, I know that you love your coach and you'll do anything. Yeah. Like you'll, you'll run through a brick wall for the guy and he would do the same for you. But 
in our family, this is actually <laughs> what we're going to do. So, um, I mean, I, I got accused of being idolatrous for wanting to run so much, you know, like not, not, not in a bad way, but just sort of like you're taking, taking it over extreme. everything. Yeah. Like yeah. can we have Prefontaine not on every wall in our, in our house? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have a spot for Jesus in there somewhere. And I was like, but mom, like I mean? that's Jared Leto, you know, you, you think he's hot too, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, oh we're, we've, Sorry. We're getting close on on maybe having to let you go here pretty soon. And before we do, I want this is a perfect kind of opportunity to start talking a little bit more about, you know, we are called the Inspired Souls Podcast. And we chose that name very intentionally because we do feel that running has informed the way I lived our lives as well as our lives inform our running and has become very source of inspiration. So without getting too, you know, <laughs> airy fairy about it all, can you talk to us maybe a little bit about, you know, your relationship with running and what it means to you at this point in your life? Yeah. Um, I would say that it has gotten to the point where it is no longer preferential and it's existential. Um, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. It's a part of who I am. And, and that's not, I mean, I, I honestly care less if I had a, an Instagram profile or, or a Strava profile or any of that, like none of that is who I am. Um, I try to be as authentic as I can on that kind of thing, but, but running is, is a part of who I am. And I, I don't feel like I'm my best self if I don't run. And, and so like, I don't, I don't have to be, I mean, I, I have to pay the bills. So I'm glad that I'm able to be, do things and make money as a runner or a race director or a coach, things like that. But as far as like, as a human being, um, I feel like I'm my best self. I feel like I am myself when I'm running, irrespective of if it's in a race or not. Like I honestly, if I never raced again for the rest of my life, I'd but I was able to train on a regular basis. I'd be totally cool with that. Like I, yeah, yeah. I love racing. I love the community. I love putting on races, but like, that's not why I run. And, and I know some people, I, I, that's how I make a living. Like some people train so they can race and some people need a coach or want a coach so that, to help them race. And I, I don't really care anymore. Like I, uh, and, and it's not that if I, have, if I do sign up for a race, I'm, I'm going to do everything I possibly can, but I, it's not your driver. No, it's not. It's sort of like education. Like I got a drawer full of certificates and stuff like that. I don't have them on my wall and I don't care. I try not to have initials before or after my name or anything like that. I, I don't care. Like that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. that, was, that, that was just a period of my life <laughs> and I don't do anything related to any of it uh, other than, you know, like I work with people. So, yeah. 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 So the pandemic really affected a lot of people that needed a race to focus on as a way to, you know, motivate them and focus their, their training and their running. It sounds to me like that wasn't you. Like, did you feel at all, you know, um, low mojo during the first parts of the pandemic personally? You know, I know your races were obviously affected, but personally, was it actually maybe more of a, a blessing permission just to, to run wild and free? Um, yeah, I mean, professionally it, it like, it was super stressful and, um, <laughs> it, uh, I'm very grateful that we somehow made it through that, but that was, 
not a fun couple of years professionally um, as race directors, because I mean, who doesn't want to be putting on events for other people and bringing the community together. And as much as you want to be safe and stuff like that, it was like, most people really wanted community. (laughs) And so I'm not, I'm not saying that the, the restrictions were not necessary or essential. Like I'm glad that we're moving past that hopefully, but um, that was really hard. I think in a lot of professionally, personally, like I, I'm glad there weren't races for me to run in because I wasn't like, I, I, I probably trained the least consistently that I have since I, since I took the break 20 years ago to, to live in Panama. Like I, I, it was very inconsistent um, because of all the quarantining that I had to do. And, um, and not only the quarantining, but like sometimes I was having to drive across the continent back and forth to see my, my kids or my brother or my, my family because there weren't commercial flights available. And, um, and other than, than my wife and, and the kids that we have here, um, all the rest of my family and extended families in, in the U S or, or other or elsewhere. And so, um, it was hard and, and I, yeah, there was a lot going on. Yeah, I just, that, yeah. I, I, I tried not to, um, tried not to make the run the priority. You know, I was, I was eating, I was eating gas station food and I was driving 12 hours a day and it was not fun, uh, a lot of the time. And then I wasn't motivated to like jump right on my treadmill when I got home while like logging in my symptoms on a daily basis for 14 days kind of thing. So Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned community there and I think, we can all agree that it is such a big part of the reason that most of us run. And so our, our final question for you is, is there someone, does somebody come to mind as a person who's really inspired you uh, on your running journey? Uh, right now, someone who's been really helpful for me. Um, uh, there, there've been a lot of mentors and friends and, and even competitors, but um, my neighbor actually um, has really been helpful. His name is Jacob Sombera. Um, he's probably like, in my opinion, the best trail runner in Canada. And most people don't even know who he is. Um, he's not on social media. He, but I, I think he could line up to any road or trail race and, and be in the mix in, in Canada. And he's super humble and he's from the Czech Republic. Um, and he's a, He's a painter and uh, our kids are the exact same age and he's just super humble. And um, I mean, runs circles around me when we get in the mountains. Like, I mean, like literally like runs up and down the mountains waiting for me to catch up and stuff. (laughs) um, But doesn't act like he's better than anyone. He organizes a group, like a guys group, which has been really nice Um, in, in the community. We meet, once a week or whenever we can, but every Tuesday night, there's a group of guys um, and it's exclusively guys. It's not like meant to meet people and hook up or anything like that. It's like, it's just a bunch of guys going out to, um, to connect. Cause um, I think specifically runners where a lot of us are somewhat introverted and we spend a lot of time tra- um, training on our own. And I think males specifically, um, I, I know I really needed community over the last couple of years and, and so he and I train together as often as we can, which may end up being once every other week or something like that. But then in addition to that, he's introduced me to a lot of people. No one in the community is as, as fast as he is, but he doesn't act like that's a barrier. We There's a 
ton of us that get together. And so I really appreciate what he does and there's no fanfare around it. And he doesn't do it for any other reason other than like it, it brings people together. And, and I, I think um, that's the beauty of this sport and of the community is that it doesn't have to be monetized. It doesn't have to be what someone does for a living or that you don't have to be an influencer or an ambassador to, to mm-hmm. be a community. You can just be a, a human. And, and that's, um, that's, that's enough. what humans do. Yeah. We, we just need yeah. to, I, I am going to make a really quick announcement. Um, he and I are signed up for the Sinister Seven and we're going to run it as a team, <gasps> um, uh, as a, as a relay team. And, uh, if we're healthy, but, um, so we're still trying to f- figure that out, but, but, uh, people have been asking me what race is on my calendar or whatever. And I haven't yeah. made that announcement yet. Um, we've been signed up for a while. We're, we're still, uh, I've never done Sinister. I've coached a lot of people who've done Sinister, but um, so we're we're going to do it. He said it was probably one of the best experiences he's ever had. He and his wife did it once, and and he said it was one of his favorite running experiences ever. So we're going to do it. And so the two Jacobs that are forty years awesome. old, awesome! Woohoo! Well, I'll be there crewing. Actually, probably two or three people. I'm not running this year, so even more reason to be a spectator this year, so we can mm-hmm. watch you guys flying through those eight stations. So I'll be curious to see your strategy, how you plan. I won't ask you now how you plan to split the legs and how all that is going to work. It's going to be very interesting to see it all play out. The only strategy is he's going to do all the uphills um, and. <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's oh. awesome and this year's going to be in reverse too so it's going to throw a little bit of a loop into the uh the planning yeah this is maybe the perfect plug because kim did it last year and we did a whole recap episode of her race last year in that ridiculously hot year so if you haven't listened to that go back and check it out i only did the 50 miler but still yes it was, awesome. it was fun bryant gallant the the race director for sinister is a big reason that uh, people like me are still in business. And so um, I'm making a point this year to try and do the events of other race directors who have supported me and my family and, and my team of race directors. So so uh, it's why I did the Calgary Marathon or the, 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 the 50K last year in September, even though I wasn't <laughs> prepared for it. Um, okay. This, this person was was also a big part of of uh, um, of keeping this industry alive, and and so her and her and Brian spearheaded a lot, um, and I was on a bunch of Zoom calls, but I was I was elsewhere um, with other things going on in in my life, um, and so I was trying to keep it going, but they they were the ones really doing the legwork for it. So um, I want I've always wanted to run Sinister, but I I wanted to. And I, and even though I probably could have got a comp entry, I'm not saying this to um, like toot my own horn. Uh, I wanted to make a point of, yeah. <laughs> of paying for my race um, yeah. and, and to thank Brian for what he's done. And I know that's not a lot, but that's, um, he's helped me much more than the race entry for the Sinister 7. And, and he's helped all of our racers for Five Peaks and Trans Alkirks and stuff. So. Well, I appreciate you mentioning Brian. And again, we have had Brian on the podcast back in episode 51, and it was a fantastic episode. So go back, listen to that episode, support Brian and his races. And I just love that you're going and and participating in other race directors races. I think that says a lot about you. Thank you. I, well, they, I, I, I owe them, like I literally owe them way more than what a, a race entry means. And I, uh, hmm. they, they helped a ton. So, yep. 
Yes. Well, all of all you race directors and business um, owners in the running space, we we really appreciate talking to you and helping you to get to know you personally as well as promote your your events because, like Carolyn said, it running's a very as you said, introverted and often insular activity, but yet it is at the very same time so much about community and so much about coming together. And it's wonderful to have these races coming back on the calendar and, um, you know, being able to sign up for a race and actually not be stressing that it may or may not happen. It's looking like it's actually going to happen and we can go ahead and plan things. Um, before we, we sign off with you, we, we just, brushed over it in the intro, but I want to highlight that you are also involved with the Trans-Selkirk's race, which is of the more ultra mindseted type of race. It's a multi-day staged race of three and five days based out of Revelstoke. So we'll link to that in our show notes if you are interested in looking up that race and getting to know a little bit more about it. Um, definitely check it out. So if people are loving what they heard from you today, Jacob, where is there a place, a website, a social media uh, that you want to point people to where they can learn more about you and follow what you're up to? On social media, I'm at Jacob Pusey and everything. The The businesses that I that I run, uh, it's peakrunperformance.com or .ca, depending on where you're at and depending on what currency you want to use. Um uh, fivepeaks.com for all of our races across Canada, um, and then trendsilkirks.com. And then um, Amy's business is accessnutrients.org. Okay. Again, we'll link all of that up in the show notes. Thank you. Absolutely. And we will request that you put in a plug with Amy, because I think we're going to be calling her to talk to her. On the show too, from the <laughs> yeah, she's, she's probably got some interesting stuff to share. She does. And it, and it does apply a lot to, to running. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll leave that to her, but she, um, (laughs) she's, she's smart. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jacob, for coming on the show and talking to us uh, a little bit more about um, what's going on over there in Invermere as well as across the country with regards to racing. So we wish you the best of running seasons for 2022. Thank you both. 